0: I'm Charlie Keegan, and this is the Central Wigan Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Central Wigan podcast. This is episode 22 and it has been a couple of days now since our 1-1 draw with Coventry City at the DW Stadium. And before we look back in the game and obviously I head to Watford on Saturday, I just want to talk about the ongoing issue with the late wages and what the latest is as of Thursday afternoon. It's about half five when I'm recording this. So Paul Kendrick from Wigan today has confirmed that the non-playing staff have been paid, yet the players don't seem to have been paid their wages. And obviously it's been well reported now that Phoenix have not met the monthly payday for the fourth time in the last nine months. Obviously one of those was before Christmas and it's just a really shambolic situation now. But they've pledged that the issue will be resolved this week. As of right now, only half of the fixes have been done. You know, obviously paying the the non-playing staff, the people who work behind the scenes, it's great for them. Obviously we know football players get paid a lot of money, but he it's borderlining now on an embarrassing situation, if not a fully embarrassing situation, which I think a lot of people would would argue. And our owners look like a bunch of amateurs as things that stand at the moment. I know there have been rumours that Mr. Al Jazmi wants to pull funding and he wants 15 million for us. You're never going to get 15 million for Wigan Athletic, especially not the state that it's in right now. But Sean Maloney is reportedly flying out to Bahrain this weekend after the Watford game. It's been reportedly scheduled for nearly a month now, way before any of this wage issue came about again. I assume Mark Brannigan's going to be flying out there with him. So if somebody's waiting at the airport to pick him up and they do actually get to meet these owners, then it'll be interesting to see if any news comes out of what was discussed and any future plans. We definitely look set for a points deduction right now, which will put us on 30 points. But as of right now, again, 5.30 on Thursday afternoon, I haven't seen anything to say that that has been implemented but now that all fun stuff has been covered, I'm obviously going to report if anything new comes out. But let's look back now on the 1-1 draw to Coventry City. Sean Maloney made five changes from the 3-0 loss at Burnley on the weekend. We had Ben Amos starting goal with Charlie Hughes, Stephen Corker and Ryan Nyambe as a back three. Ryan Nyambe playing on that left centre-back sort of role that we've seen him a few times this season under Sean Maloney. Tendai DiRiqua and James McLean took the wings. In the middle, we had Max Power and Chris Tehe with Dan Elsonani, Ashley Fletcher and Will Keane up top. On the bench, we had Jamie Jones, Tom Pierce, Tello Asgard, Tom Naylor, Callum Lang, Josh McGinnis and Charlie Wyke. Obviously, the big miss there is Jack Watmore at centre-back. This injury doesn't really seem to shake. I don't know if there's sort of a, a short-term timeline on it or a, more a long-term timeline, but he, he's a massive miss for us. But overall, I thought that the, the team that Sean Maloney selected, I was quite happy with it. I think that the, the Power and tehe so in the middle, is Tom Naylor really going to get much of a chance going in there? I like Tom, but when you know, you're know you trying to take the game to somebody, I think Max Power and Chris He are the two that can do it. James McLean out on the left is a very difficult one. He's the one that's providing a lot of the assists, a lot of the chances. I, I really would like to see Tom Pearce at the left wing back role, and I think that he can be a key player in games. But you know, how are you going to take James McLean out when there's not really somewhere else for him to go if you do put Tom Pearce in there? I wouldn't really want Tom Pearce dropping back as a left centre-back in place of Ryan Nyambi because I think his defensive attributes have a little bit left to to be desired for. We had to weather the storm a little bit in the opening few minutes. We had a Gustavo Hamer free-kick, which I thought Ben Amos did really well to get to. And also Coventry pulled a really good counter-attack to one of our attacks, with Giocares running down that left-hand side and feeding it into Matt Godden. Again, it forced Ben Amos into a really good save. But it didn't take long for us to get into the game. And that's what I really enjoyed. And it was Daniel Sinani in that pocket and that number 10 rule that was really starting to pull the strings. A few dink balls over the top. I don't know if anybody saw the weather, but it can't be fun to play in. But it made the, the surface really slippy. And Danielson and I was trying to take advantage of that with a few long range shots that would dip in front of the keeper because at that point they can go anywhere. They can skim up high, they can skim low, can really catch the keeper off and that's what he was trying to do. But overall in the first half, in the sort of first 30 minutes, we had eight shots on goal, four of which came from inside the box, four which were outside the box. And when you look at the Burnley game, we only had two shots in the entire game. Both of those came in the box, but we've been really struggling to attack the areas. So I thought that the the start of the Coventry game was very good and obviously with a lot of patterns of play If we are going to go down with with Sean Maloney and he's going to be our manager in League One, if he's the one that's implementing all these passages of play, which I assume he is, then I think that we're we're going to be set because just the sort of patterns that we're playing, the little triangles and moving forward, they were really working. And against a team like Coventry, who are a very good side, I was very impressed with that. But overall, I think one of the most impressive moments in that first half was when Sean Maguire went around our keeper and he had a clear shot on goal and Charlie Hughes had spotted the danger immediately. Ran to the goal mouth and was there to clear it off the line. He's a 19-year-old who's come up from our academy in his first season in the championship, playing at a senior level, playing, fighting, because, you know, we're we're under a lot of pressure in our back line. To have that mentality of going and thinking, right, Sean Maguire could go around the keeper. I've got to get somewhere just in case this gets on the line. And obviously he was there and it, it saved us from going one goal down, so... For me, Charlie Hughes was, was brilliant in that first half, very commanding, and the leap on him when he's trying to get to the head is, is unbelievable. One thing that I did notice, though, that frustrated me, and it's frustrated me for a few weeks now, is Ashley Fletcher really needs to give himself another yard or two of space from a defender when getting ready to shoot, because often he gets into a good position, but then he gets way too close to the defender, and that opportunity to find a gap towards the goal is gone, and then we end up conceding possession, and it, it goes the other way. If he can try and stand off the player one or two yards and just look up, see around him. You know, Will Keane might be on the overlap. Daniel Sanani might be somewhere on the field trying to do a better pass. He just runs straight at the defender and then all all chance of a, a big attack is gone. But early on in the second half, it was Coventry that opened the scoring. It was a move that started by Josh Eccles, who played down Jake Bildwell down the left-hand side. Dorico tried to get to him, but didn't really close him down all that well. And it was quite a deep cross that was played in. Ben you could see that he was thinking about coming out and dealing with it in some aspect, but then thought, no, I'll stay on my line. James McLean was trying to run in to stop the Victor Giocares header. He couldn't get to it in time, and it was a bit of a clash in in the box between the two, but it was a header straight home. In hindsight, there was a lot that we could have done. Dorico probably could have got to Jake Bidwell, closed it down a little bit better. We were playing quite over to the right of our box, so I could see Charlie Hughes is a little bit in no man's land. Stephen Corker was again quite far over to the right of the box and with Giocares running deep at the far post there was nobody really there to him and obviously you saw the scramble that James McLean was trying to get there Chris he had let him go and then all of a sudden you find yourself 1-0 down at home on a rainy evening on a Tuesday where you desperately needed three points Sean Maloney made a triple substitution he brought off Ashley Fletcher, Chris Teahy and Tendai DiRiqua he brought on Tom Pierce, Josh McGinnis and Tello Asgard now, I had a 2-1 prediction on and I was happy that we were making a bit more of an attacking change because I was, I really wanted my 2-1 to come true. And Josh McGinnis straight away was in with an opportunity. I thought it was miles offside and it was a ball that was played over the top by Dan Alsanani. He then squared it to James McLean, but it really just got caught under his feet. Macca couldn't really do anything with it. It was a good intent, though. Dan Sanani then came off for Callum Lang with about 20 minutes to go. And Lang drove down the right-hand side of our wing. Drove a ball across the goal with Wilkeen trying to divert it home. And there was a clash between the the keeper and the defender. How Wilkeen didn't score that, I do not know. But it was so close and we were really starting to get into the game at that point. Then there was another substitution that was going and I could see that... I mean, I was looking across the field, I was thinking, who's going to come off now? You know, is it Keane? Is it somebody else? It was Stephen Corker, came off of Charlie White. And at that point, we pretty much went for a one zero nine tactic. Everybody was just pu- pushing forward. But if we're going to get on fighting, that's what I want to see. And I thought the timing of the substitutions from Sean Maloney were very good. Usually I've seen us, you know, we brought Tom Pearce on a while ago and it was like the 88th minute and you think, what really can he do? But going at the hour mark and then going, you know, 20 minutes to go and then obviously 10 minutes to go. It just keeps the pressure on Coventry a little bit and it keeps our momentum going, a few fresh legs. And in that constant press, it was Tom Pearce trying to swing a ball in. it didn't really get into the box as he would have hoped. The ball then came out to Will Keane and I thought he was going to shoot and he'd done it a couple of times where he was trying to find space in the end of the box and really it was a bit of a scoff shot. I was hoping they wouldn't do it again. But then Ryan Nyambe, a little bit of space on that right hand side. Keane found him, just laid it off. Definitely trying to cross it in. There was no way that he was trying to shoot. I know Josh McGinnis and Charlie White were in the box. White even had a bit of a flick of a faint header. But then it came off uh, McFadzine, I think he's called, and it was in for in for a goal. I felt tight on Ryan Ambi because he's played 200 and something games in his career, never scored a goal. And that could have been his first in senior football, but no, it goes down as a known goal, unfortunately. But despite a late push, even Charlie White picking the ball up and running it back to the centre circle, that was our last chance of the night. We didn't have another shot. And I thought that we fought really hard for that point. Coventry set up really well. They really want the three points because I know they're a team that really wants to push up the push up the table. But our heads looked to go and we conceded and all credit to Sean Malone and the players. They dug deep, they found an equaliser and they found a way back into the game, which if we are going to get out fighting, that is what I want to see. So just to run through a few of the key stats in the afternoon, ball possession, Wigan Athletic had 49% and Coventry had 51 We had 10 shots to their 18. We had five on target, which I thought was very impressive compared to recent times. They had seven on target. We had six corners. They had four. We had four offsides. They had two, which I thought should have been more for both sides, to be honest. There was a lot that looked to be offside. We committed 18 fouls. They committed 11. And there was a yellow card apiece as Tenda Dorico got put into the book. And so did Gustavo Hamer. The important games at the bottom of the table. Blackpool 6, QPR 1, Rotherham 1, Preston 2. Watford 3, Birmingham 0, Huddersfield 1, Norwich City 1, and Cardiff City 1, West Brom 1. At this point in the season, especially when you're getting a points deduction, you know, the, the the route to safety is really, really bleak. I don't think there's much chance left in it, but it isn't mathematically impossible. Miracles do happen, but, you know, it's a real uphill battle from here. So whilst I think it's still important to look around at other fixtures around us, you know, we've obviously got to focus on ourselves and hope for a miracle. And that miracle can come this Saturday as we get out to Vicarage Road to face Watford, who sit 10th in the Skybet Championship with 54 points. At the moment, Latics have 33 points in comparison, obviously can drop to 30 before we play, They're managed by Chris Wilder since March 7th, 2023, after they sacked Slavon Villic. And I really don't understand Watford's managerial process because it's been a long time since they had a long-term manager. And you've actually got to go back to Aidy Boothroyd, who took charge of them from March 2005 to November 2008. He was in charge for 176 games, and that is the last time they were managed by somebody over 100 games. Malcolm Akai came closest with 99 in June 2009 to June 2011. But since then, it's just been a complete revolving door of managers. Even when you look as far back as Slava Village 25 games, Rob Edwards 11 games, Roy Hodgson 18 games, Claudio Ranieri 14 games, Siska Munoz 36 games which you know it got them promoted to the Premier League but I just don't understand how you're ever going to be a stable club if you keep switching things up so quickly. I mean that said they're probably run up a little bit better than Wigan Athletic are at the moment. Overall this season they have played 37 matches in the championship, winning 14, drawing 12 and losing 11. They've scored 44, conceded 39 which creates a goal difference of plus 5 and they've kept 14 clean sheets. At Vicarage Road this season, where we're playing them, they've played 18 games, won nine, drawn five, and lost four. They've scored 27, conceded 16, and they've kept eight clean sheets there. Overall, they've picked up 32 of their 54 points at home, which is much better than their away form, where they've only picked up 22 of their 54. Over the recent six league matches, Watford have won two, drawn two, and lost two. In that same period, they've scored seven, conceded five, and kept two clean sheets. Most recently, they won 3-0 at Vicarage Road to Birmingham City. But before that, in Chris Wilder's first game in charge, they did lose 1-0 to Queen's Park Rangers, who just got battered 6-1 by Blackpool. So anything can happen in this league. There may be a good time to play them. But the last time we did play them, it was a João Pedro winner in the 90th minute. He got his head up highest to it. So, you know, we can be in the game. We can take it to them. We've also just got to keep that constant press that we did against Coventry. I did some digging on who their most attacking players are, who the one-to-watch players are. And Ismail Assar is obviously the standout, but he looks to be injured. He didn't play against Birmingham City on the weekend, and I'm hearing reports that he might not play against Wigan Athletic either. So the top attacker that I'm going to talk about is Ken Seymour, He's 29, a Swedish left midfielder. 31 games a season, 5 goals and 7 assists with a 1.48 points per game. He was bought from Ostersund in July 2018 for around £2 million. And then he did spend the 19-20 season on loan at Udinese Calcio in the Italian League before returning in August 2020 to link back up with Watford. He's a Swedish international, he's got 118 games for Watford now and he's having his best season so far. Next up is the game winner from the last time we played them. It's João Pedro, 21 Brazilian centre-forward. 28 games have played this season, nine goals and two assists. He's got a 1.54 points per game. He was bought from Fluminense, and I think that's how you saw it, Fluminense, in January 2020. He's now played 102 games for Watford with 22 goals and seven assists. And he's just one assist away from equaling last season's tally, and he's played 10 less games. Obviously scored against the last time out. Gonna be a big threat for them coming into this one. And then finally, I've got Keenan Davis, 25, English centre forward, 27 games this season, five goals, hasn't assisted yet he's got a 1.22 points per game. He's on loan from Aston Villa. He expires at the end of the season and he's equaled his best ever goals in a season tally with five, which he achieved last season with Nottingham Forest, where he got five goals and two assists in 15 games. He scored last time out for them, which was his first goal since October 23rd. And he was playing more of an isolated role up top. So maybe that's where they're going to try and get the best out of him. And having spoken to a Watford fan this week, I think that is generally how they're going to play. A 3-5-2, Maybe stick Jao Pedro and Keenan Davis up top, but let Jao Pedro, you know, dip up him a little bit, be more of him at number 10, and that's how they might get the best out of him. So the lineup that I would choose for the Watford game, I can't really see us putting Jamie Jones in goal. I think Ben Amos will probably take the, the starting role again. Our back three most likely to remain Charlie Hughes, Stephen Corker, and Ryan Ambe. I don't think that Jack Walmore is going to be fit enough in time. I believe Omar Rikik is available to be selected. I think when it's a two yellow cards in one game, obviously leads to red. I think it's a one game suspension. So we could do Charlie Hughes, Stephen Corker and Omar Rikik, but Rikik obviously needs to keep his head because despite getting the red card last time out, I think that he could have got one again in the game before. He needs to needs to really watch himself. If we are going to go with Rikik though, maybe Ryan Neambay out on the right wing back position instead of Tendai Derequa. And I would like to see James McLean swapped out for Tom Pierce on that left hand side. In the middle, I can't really see anything else other than Max Power and Chris Teahy. And then the attacking, obviously Ashley Fletcher cannot play because Watford is his parent club where he's on loan from. And then Sean Maloney has quite a quite a decision to make whether he does Dan Elsonani, Wilkeen, Charlie Wyke, or Wilkeen, Charlie Wyke and Callum Lang. Dan Elsonani, Wilkeen, Callum Lang, you know, you name it, you've got obviously Josh McGinnis to throw into that as well, so... There's a little bit of a decision for him to make there. Obviously, he can bring in Talawasgaard as well. How he sets up in that front line, I don't really know. But the rest of the team, I imagine, will be fairly similar. But obviously, maybe Ran Nyambe instead of Deriqua, Omar Rakik back in, and then Tom Pierce in place of James McLean. Is the season mathematically over? No. Is the chance of a comeback still on? Yes. It's very, very slim, but it can be done. And I think that if we can get the three points against Watford, realistically, we're probably going to lose the three points anyway before we play them. So it'll just get us back to where we where we are now. But, you know, the season is not done. That Shocks can happen. I know that Birmingham and Reading, I think, are facing points deductions as well. Whether they'll be implemented this season or not, I don't know. So there's a few little factors that we we need to keep in mind, but we also just need to focus on what we're doing. If we are going to get down to League One, I do not want us to give up already. I want us to fight until the final whistle against Rotherham, and I just want to see good football. And then the players on the pitch and the people who are working behind, obviously they've been through a lot in the last few months, especially this month as well with the late payments again, so we just need to back them. There are nine games left, 27 points up for grabs, and obviously, as we've said, anything can happen. The other games on the weekend outside of Watford versus Wigan, we have Millwall hosting Huddersfield, which is a big game for us as well, Blackpool versus Coventry, Middlesbrough versus Preston, Reddin versus Hull City, Sunderland versus Luton Town, QPR versus Birmingham, Rotherham versus Cardiff, which is obviously a big one for that sort of 21-22 spot, Stoke City versus Norwich and Swansea versus Bristol City. And just before we finish this podcast, I want to give a bit of under-18 news. So Wigan Athletic under-18s are currently sitting 9th out of 10 in the Premier League under-18 league, and at the end of the season, they have said already what the retention list will be. The club have announced that Matthew Corrin and Jack Riley have been offered their first professional contracts, and they join goalkeeper Matthew Wanaka and midfielder Kai Payne, who have signed theirs earlier in the season. I believe they're all going to go and play under-21 level next season, but six under-18 players will leave the academy at the end of their two-year scholarships. Steven Sumner, Luca Latona, Christian Knowles, Ruben Gruel, Danny Welsby, and Kyle Worsley will all leave us. I'm not too sure when the under 21 retention list comes out but obviously when it does I will also talk about that as well. But that is everything from today's podcast. So we play Watford on Saturday. I'm really hoping for a good atmosphere, a good game and hopefully we can get the three points. There's a lot that's going to happen in the meantime. I expect a points deduction. I expect you know some kind of announcement from the club to come. So, so we will talk about all that on the next podcast after the Watford game. And until then you can follow us on Twitter which is at Central Wigan. Follow our substack which is centralwigan.substack.com and you can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcast, it should be on there. But until the next one, up the ticks.